that we understand how to love, right? We, we, we can define it. We have defined it that love is primarily uh, being sacrificing yourself if need be, but it is to, to work on the good of others. It is to desire and to fulfill the good, do that which is good for somebody else, even if it means you're sacrificing yourself. That's what love is. And so all these things have, if, as you start to think about that, every one of these things will come into play with that definition. Uh, last week we saw that we might define a jealousy here as sadness or sorrow on my part due to the success of another. So right there you begin to see how that cannot be love because instead of rejoicing in the good of somebody else, you're jealous of it. Jealousy causes me pain when someone feels else feels pleasure. It is the kind of feeling a person feels when his or her competitor wins. And jealousy is incompatible with love for a very good reason. Love seeks the benefit and well-being or even the edification of another. You know, if you desire the good for another, biblical good, you desire that they, they be edified, that they would grow in their understanding of the word of God, that they would grow in their relationship with the Lord. This is what separates the, the best the world has to offer when it comes to love with biblical love because the lost person could care less whether you understand God's word or if you have a relationship with him. And the problem with that is that if you don't have a proper relationship with Christ, you are eternally damned from the presence of God. So to not love biblically is to hate. But of course, you, when you live in darkness, you, you don't begin to understand those things. So love seeks the benefit and well-being, the edification of another, so much so that it is willing to make a personal sacrifice to facilitate it. And then we talked about boasting and arrogance. They are my sinful response to my own prosperity. Arrogance or pride takes credit for my success, as though it were due to my own merit or superior efforts. Boasting is letting other people know about my success in a way that tempts others to be jealous of that success. So again, maybe you never really thought about that, but it's one thing to be arrogant, to take credit upon yourself for that which you don't give credit to the Lord, but then to boast about it is to take another step forward uh, further and make sure everybody else knows that uh, you have done this thing. And uh, all these things are incompatible. And, and that's uh, why we uh, dealt with, uh, we finished with Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And we said, let's make sure that we first look inward. That we are to hate those things in any, wherever we see them. But it begins in my heart. It's very easy to hate it when other people boast and brag and have pride. But it's no better when we do it, and yet we so easily overlook those things. Well, as we continue now today in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says that um, love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So we want to look at those three different aspects of what love is not, rudeness, uh, it's not something that insists on having its own way, and it is not irritable or resentful. All those things are have their own different nuances that we need to think about. 
So as we continue through the description of what love is not, here uh, the ESV has rudeness. Um, we would we could define it as bad behavior. The KJV has unseemly, and, and all these things I think have, have something to do with it. Um, perhaps inappropriate behavior would be a way that would sum it all up. Unseemly um, is, is under inappropriate behavior. I think today we tend to think when we say something is unseemly, we tend to think of it as being uh, that which has inappropriate uh, overtones of inappropriate behavior between men and women, dirty jokes, innuendo. It's unseemly. That certainly comes into play, but there, it goes way beyond that. But that would be an, an example of it. The idea is to act in an inappropriate way in whatever circumstance you are in, and I think that's the, you know, so. So rudeness is is we'll deal with that. Rudeness is one as un, aspect of that unseemliness, in the sense I just described it, is another way. But the general principle is anything that is inappropriate. Biblically speaking, not cultural, because every culture has its do's and don'ts and its mores, and uh, you know it does come and go. We'll talk about that, but we're talking about what, uh, when it comes to honoring the Lord, what is inappropriate. We don't want to conduct ourselves in an improper or disgraceful way in a manner that would deserve reproach. So I think that's the general idea of what's being said here. Uh, by rudeness. Now, obviously, I want us to consider this not just in the area of bad manners. In other words, we're not talking here when, when the ESV says rude. Don't think about that as just, well, bad manners. Manners are something that is often cultural. In some places, I think everybody knows this, you know, it's, it's acceptable and even good to burp if you enjoyed the meal. I imagine if I was at some of your homes and I did that, you probably would not be impressed, to say the least, right? Maybe you would be. If you are, let me know. I'd be glad to oblige you. But it's different. Every you know, every culture is different, and that's not what we're talking about. Although there's a sense in which it makes sense, because if you consider something to be inappropriate or something that you would find to be offensive. I, as if I love you, I don't want to do that. I would refrain from doing something that you consider to be rude or you'd just rather not see or, you know, whatever, hear or whatever, right? And that makes sense. So that certainly is an aspect of all this. <clears throat> now, can we not say that if we love someone, we don't want to unnecessarily offend them by acting in a way that would be considered as rudeness? And that is part of this. But there are other ways that we that I think we could think of it inappropriate behavior as a Christian that is concerned with our testimony that we can think about as well. So love wants to build up. Loving is encouraging others in the things of the Lord, in the things that benefit them. And there are any number of things that are inappropriate to that end. And I think that's the, the point here. What is inappropriate when it comes to building somebody up and exercising love towards someone? Bad manners might irritate, and we want to be sensitive to that, but it it goes way beyond that. And we see these things growing, what what I'm about to talk about, in our culture today, and they really have been for several decades. The way 
the average person speaks to another person is often riddled with foul and hateful words that express rage and hatred that hurt others, that demean others, that elevate self. And that certainly, I think, would be something that we would refer to as rude or inappropriate, as hurtful, as offensive. It's inappropriate behavior. And even Christians get caught up in this. Now, when we teach our children not to say curse words, and I hope that we teach our children that, like everything else, it's not enough to just say, oh, you shouldn't say that word. That's a bad word. We need to think about and understand why those things are bad. That there's a reason why Christians should not say that those things. <clears throat> They're inappropriate. Why would we want to express, again, if we just think about it, and I won't list them, of course, but we all can think of most of the things that we consider to be curse words, foul language, uh, inappropriate words in, 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 in the way that we talk to each other. Why would a Christian want to express a curse upon somebody else? Some of the, and, and so we sometimes in a generic say that's a curse word. Well, some of the words are curses. You, you damn somebody, you are, you are placing a curse upon them or at least wishing a curse upon them, right? And so that there's a reason why we don't use that word. Uh, because why would a Christian use a word that would put a curse upon somebody? Or for the other reason that often when these words are used, it's because we're just mad and we're expressing anger. Often we're expressing anger at somebody else, at a certain person. And why would we, uh, as a Christian, do those things in that way? <clears throat> um, another way reason why these these type of words and language is inappropriate for a Christian is because why uh, would we as a Christian speak of God's gift of sex in a base way by demeaning women or demeaning expressions of love? We are reaping, I think, the fruit of inappropriate references to this on this subject as we have made uh, the whole subject something that is perverted, we have we treat it as very casually. It's lost all its sanctity because we refer to it in base, loveless, hateful, lustful terms. This is a, a gift of God. Yet much of foul language seems to thrive in debasing that this gift of God's love for us. And which think about it, intimacy is the fullest physical expression of love. And it's funny that we often use that which should be used as an expression of love as an expression of hatred towards somebody or demeaning somebody. So foul language is hateful and sometimes directed even at God's providence. Not to mention casual references to him as well. Another thing that makes foul language inappropriate is that often it is to use God's name in vain. It is to refer to God in some, what, even in a casual way, not just a demeaning way, but to refer to God casually is inappropriate. <clears throat> they are either angry, you know, when, when we use these terminologies, it is almost always because we are angry at someone or something. So when we use it, not only is the word itself usually riddled with 
inappropriateness. But we're doing it because by expressing anger at a certain situation, we are also raising our fist against God's uh, providence. Because we don't like what's happened, so we express rage. We express some foul language when we should be as Christians praying that we would, that God would help us to accept his will, we're raging against God's will. You see, so it's not anywhere near enough for you to tell your children, oh, don't, don't, you shouldn't say that. Because there's a reason why these things are not to be found in a, on a, crossing a Christian's lip. We are to be as careful as we can in this area. So what we call curse words or foul language is inappropriate because it is, expresses unloving anger, it demeans good things, it demeans God and all, and all these things. It's inappropriate. And so, when you think of rude, we're going, it's going way beyond just manners. It's a, to behave in an inappropriate way that uh, is harmful to other people. And as Christians, it's good for us to apply this to how we address each other. We can still be rude with each other and never use a swear word. This has uh, always been a place where Christians can be very hypocritical. When we think about uh, that since we don't use the language of the world, well, we're not guilty because we don't use that type of language, but we can very easily, by our words, hurt others and demean others. And if we think about What's going on in the Corinthian church with all the divisions and refusing to share food and looking down on those who don't have certain gifts, they may, they probably weren't using curse words towards each other when they came together. Let's, let's assume the best. But they were, they might as well have been when it comes to the way they were treating each other. So inappropriate behavior takes many forms. And let us not just think of in the, uh, in the sense of, of swear words. Our language and attitudes uh, also represent uh, ways that we can be very inappropriate. And again, the, the inappropriateness is that we are not expressing love. We are doing the exact opposite of love when we use those types of words or say things with a certain tone or uh, purpose. And so a lot of what is done behind keyboards today is not only rude and unloving, but it, it is designed to belittle, to tear down, with no attempt to understand the other point, to just poke fun at, to demean, to demean people. Uh, there are many Christians out there that I know of, I, you know, I've seen this happen, I hear about it quite a bit, that when they are, disagree with somebody, gone are the days where we say, well, you know what, I, 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 I don't, but I don't agree with that. Or, you know what, that's an interesting... What do you mean by that? I want to understand what you mean by that. Maybe my position is wrong. and Let's just let's talk about it. Let's debate it. No. Now we've got a whole... Besides just saying all sorts of mean things and writing people off as lost with our keyboard because we're, we don't have the guts to do it to their face, now we do it with memes. I'm not going to debate you. I'm not going to... I'm not going to explain why you're wrong or why I believe what I say is right. I'm just going to get a cute little meme that pokes fun of you or what you believe. And I'm going to send that to you. And I'm going to put that out on Facebook or wherever so everybody can see it. I'm not going to, I don't have the guts or I probably don't have the ability to defend myself. 
right? And to do so in a loving way, in a way that where uh, it's helpful, I'm just going to put out a silly little meme, and that's the end of it. And that's going on all the time, and that's that couldn't be any more. You you might also just be a cursing each other and using foul language. It's the same thing. And we see it all the time, and it's sad. And I think a lot of us uh, in, in, today in our modern age is going to uh, have to answer for that kind of stuff. So we need to be very careful about that. And, and by the way, disagreeing in a loving way is not hating. Because now you got those who say, you know, you think, you think you, we all know the, hypo, the hypocrisy of the uh, the world that can say any kind of hateful thing against uh, Christians or against conservatives. But as soon as you happen to point out what you believe they're wrong, well, you're a hater. And you hate, and, and that's hate language. And we understand the hypocrisy. But, but let's not get caught up in all that. You can disagree with somebody and not be hateful. If you're trying to help them, if you're trying to share your point of view, certainly if you're trying to, to, to uh, proclaim the gospel, the gospel truths, it's not hateful. And don't let, don't let the world define these things. We, the Bible does the, the defining of these things. But, but we want to do so in a loving way. So rudeness reveals your feelings towards someone. And we all know what it feels like when we are slighted and made fun of or, or talked about as if we don't matter. And, and so that's not appropriate for a Christian to ever do that. And I'll refer to uh, the text that we uh, talked about, I think, already here a week or two ago. Remember when Jesus was at Simon the Leopard's house? But think about it. And it's Simon the leper's house, not the leopard. Uh, it says here, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now remember, uh, she had broken this alabaster ointment that was very expensive, and they were criticizing her for wasting all that money worshiping Jesus. And Jesus turns to Simon and says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but but he who is forgiven little loves little. Her sins aren't forgiven because she uh, gave enough adoration to Jesus, but her she proved herself as a believer by the way she what by by showing how much Jesus meant to her by expressing her love for Jesus. So Jesus is saying to some degree, uh you you can't love too much because you're upset because she's worshiping me because she she happened to spend a little money doing it. You know? Simon's arrogance toward others really only demonstrated they didn't even love Christ all that much. So we've got to be careful. The way we act out towards people is it represents to some degree not just our love for them, but our love for the Lord, as we talked about, because everything flows from the gospel. It flows from the cross. If I don't love you, my equal, when Christ has loved me, his creation in order to save me, then something is very, very wrong. <clears throat> Jesus, on the other hand, of course, treats 
Simon and the woman quite differently than that he was being treated. Even in his rebuke, he is kind and he is appropriate with both. Rudeness shows that there is a lot of work to be done when it comes to loving others and humbling ourselves. William Barclay translates this uh, concept here of rudeness as love does not behave graciously, or to put it positively, love is gracious. L- love gives perhaps even what is not deserved. And I wonder how many times perhaps I've turned people away from from the gospel because I've acted in a way that is inappropriate for a Christian to act, and and, and I've turned them off in a sense. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why these things are so important. I guess what we should remember about this is that we should think about what we are about to say and determine whether it is helpful or not, whether it is inappropriate, whether it is appropriate or not, whether it's edifying or not, uh, and, and, and that it, that we don't have an excuse to say, "Well, I, it was in the heat of the moment, or I blurted it out, or I wasn't thinking." No, we're Christians. We're, we are to think first, think before we act, think before we speak, because. If all that we do, eat, drink, or whatever we do, is to be for the glory of God, then there's no places where we can say, well, you know what, I just acted in the flesh. I, I just, you know, wasn't thinking. That's going against God's will for us. Now, that takes discipline. I'm not saying that that's easy. But the Christian life isn't easy always. But the more the gospel becomes who we are, the easier these things certainly will be. I, I read of an example I thought was kind of interesting about, the, about that sometimes even bizarre behavior that we blame on, on God can be inappropriate and rude and unloving. Someone said that he received a phone call very early in the morning, got him out of bed by somebody who said that, you know what, I, I was at wherever they worked, and at this time of the day, phones weren't to be working. And as I walked by, I realized the phones were working. Something happened. And so, in my mind, I took that, that the Holy Spirit was telling me, I need to call you. You know, I thought, and he, so, so you're kind of, you're going to call me early and get me out of bed for no reason, really. And you're going to blame it on the Lord. And I thought, well, you know, it is, maybe it's an example of we got to be careful. Think things through and let's not blame the Lord for perhaps being uh, rude to somebody. Much of the conduct in the Corinthian church, in the church meeting, was not spirit-led. They were merely, merely being compulsive and asserting self. And so we don't want to ever blame God for our bad behavior. As if those who truly do love God and others, um, if we are truly those who love God and others, then we will not act in a way that is offensive or that hurts them. We will do our best to always be helpful in everything we do. And sometimes that means correction. Sometimes that means tough love. But it's got to be thought of. It's got to be thought out. And, and to make sure that we're not just acting out ourselves or it's, it's, it's our own pride. <clears throat> so there's uh, three, as we said, there's three concepts in this uh, text that we wanted to look at. And the first one then is... And this may be a way we could say this. Love is that kind of conduct which is winsome, which draws people to us, 
and which prompts them to ask us about our faith. I like the word winsome, because, especially for Christians, because it is to be likable. It is to, to, to have a demeanor that is not off-putting, that is not mean, that is not even sometimes dull uh, or unattractive. It, it is to, to draw, something that draws people to you, that you're happy, that you're full of joy, that you have a sense of humor or whatever, right? And, and I probably don't always come across like that, but I try to. I try to be as likable as someone who probably is not all that likable. I'm, I try to be likable, right? That, that should be our goal. To, to speak in a way that is engaging with people. Winsome is not when someone talks to you. And children, this is good for you to, to think about. When someone talks to you, uh, it is rude to answer yes and no. And, that, and pretty much that's it. You know, when someone's talking to you, they can't hardly get anything other than yes or no. You know, people like that, if, if I don't ask them a question, that uh, if I ask them a question that can be answered with yes or no, that's all I'm getting out of them. And, 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 and that, that's, it. that's disrespectful. And it's not, it's not engaging. We want to be the kind of person that has a relationship with people that, that people can talk to. Secondly, then, uh, the, the verse 5 says, not only we are not to be rude, but love does not insist on its own way. Life and the universe doesn't revolve around any of us, and so it is totally unloving to insist that we always get our way. And it's, so it's similar to being rude, but where rudeness might be careless, the careless way we treat each other, this gets to the reason why we might care uh, treat them that way and it's because we care about ourselves too much so we don't we're not really concerned with how we come across or how we treat somebody else um, this the idea of insisting you know, on you having your own way if I'm insisting that I have my own way because of my pride and arrogance then I will necessarily be rude or inappropriate to others Paul is telling us that our lives are not to be lived like a bull in a china shop, just doing whatever we want to do with no thought about what it does to others, but instead that a big part of living rightly Christ-like is to always examine our actions in in light of how it is going to affect others, right? And I've kind of already said this. But that's the opposite of living uh, only in a way uh, that that I get my way. And everything. It is godly to think how others may be helped and not make life just about my little world. Now, having said that, let's not be too sensitive to what others say. In other words, there's, there's a part of this in which I want to be careful in, in how I treat others and how I speak to others so I don't offend them. But I don't want to be, and we all know this, and, and you know, some of us probably struggle more than others, but we all know people who it seems like you can't say anything to them, they're going to take it the wrong way. That they're just so sensitive, and again, it's, it's because they're so full of themselves that it's like they're looking to be offended at, at everything that happens. And so let's not be like that. Let's just, and, and I think the verse that, it, that covers this is, that love is the cover of multitude of sins. 
at the end of the day, you know, things are going to be said that you might not particularly like. But if again, if love is the rule of your life, you'll be able to let those things slide. You, you, you say, look, I know that person doesn't mean that. Maybe he did mean that. But, you know, you, you know that, you know, it's just, he's speaking in the moment, speaking in the flesh. And you can let things go, and you don't hold on to things. Uh, we'll, we'll see here, um, uh, I think, I think I want to say in our next message here, that love doesn't, uh, make lists and hold on to wrongs done. I know we'll get to that if we get to verse 6. Gordon Fee, I quoted him down here. I thought it was kind of good the way he deals with this. In some ways, this is the fullest expression of what Christian love is all about. It does not seek its own. It does not believe that finding oneself is the highest good. It is not enamored with self-gain, self-justification, or self-worth. To the contrary, it seeks the good of one's neighbor or enemy. And I think, again, that's a good way to think of this as well. So this was rightly illustrated uh, on the tombstones of two different men. One read, Here lies a miser who loved himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now, where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares, right? He, he lived for himself. But there's another man that I know of, General uh, Charles George Gordon, who uh, his uh, tombstone said, Sacred memory to General Charles Gordon, George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, his heart to God. One clearly was a loving man, the other was not. Now, this isn't just about how I am want to be remembered. It goes way beyond all that. Although that's not unimportant, it's kind of a side effect. This is about what honors the Lord and what builds people up. Not, not just how you're remembered. But at the same time, we understand that how we interact with others has much to, has much to do with how we're going to be received into heaven. So, so there is, but, but this is first God work, but then also horizontally. And just imagine, and here we're just about done, but imagine how difficult it is for an atheist to care less about what his tombstone would say. You know, we don't, you know, I don't, I guess what's on my tombstone to me is neither here nor there, but I obviously if it, if it mattered, I would want something good to be on it, right? But an atheist who, do, who believes he's going to die like a dog and that's the end, why do they even care what's going to be on their uh, tombstone? But the mere fact that many do care to some degree what others think about them just shows that, that the law of God is written on their hearts and that or in their conscience, and that they're trying to live with a worldview that doesn't fit, that, that, that doesn't make any sense, that even they know that it matters in some way. The worldview, their worldview is trying to convince them that it doesn't matter how you leave this world, but in their heart they know. One commentator said, to cure selfishness and you replant the Garden of Eden. Of course, that's a mouthful, but it, in one sense it's true. 
Even the lost know this instinctively. You know, with all the talk of utopia, and, and we're trying to work towards a utopian society, at the end of the day, everybody knows that the reason you can't is because we're selfish. Mankind is selfish, and we can't get along. That's why, that's why communism, in theory, sounds good, that we all just share everything. But we know it doesn't work because we know that, that everybody doesn't deserve everything the same way because there are those who work and there are those who will sponge off of those who work, right? And that's just, that's just the way the world is. But even the world knows that if they, we all lived without selfishness, it would be something like heaven on earth, whatever that might be. But selfishness won't allow it. But, the reason we're studying this is because for Christians, there, this should be something that we can live out to some degree, right? I mean, you know, none of us are going to work this out perfectly, but we should, this should at least, uh, describe generally who we are and how we act. And we should then in the church of all places, the church should be heaven on earth to some degree. People that we love, people that love us, we're working together for a common good. And when the church doesn't end up being like that, something is terribly, terribly wrong. The Holy Spirit certainly isn't in control. The local church should be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Again, in the Corinthian church is the quintessential example of insisting on one's own way. This has been the problem from the very uh, from the very beginning. Um, in the uh, next chapter, in verse 12, Paul says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church or in edification. One of the problems we have in a lot of churches is because they want the manifest, they keep praying for the manifestation of the Spirit. And what they want is tongues. What they want is something tangible that they can see and feel the Holy Spirit's here. Well, let me remind you that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. If you want to see the manifestations of the Spirit, it's going to be seen in a Christ-like life. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. And if, if and so if you want to see that, uh, that's where it's going to be. It's not going to be in tongues. Uh, they're, they're, they think that the Holy Spirit causing us to do something that, we're, that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Uh, it's, you can see, oh, it's almost like a half-truth. When the Holy Spirit causes me to, to put Christ first in everything I do, that's the manifestation that we need. We've already mentioned that living for others is a healthy pursuit, but remind, let's remind ourselves that that's not the main motivation here. When we talk about love, we want to love each other. We want to do things good for each other. But we're doing that because we first love God, our Creator, more than anything. Uh, John MacArthur gave, uh, talked about how that love is good for the mental health. It reminds us that we were created to love, even though sin has messed that out, messed that up quite a bit. He said that a, uh, a, a pastor was in charge of uh, a, a, taking care of a graveyard and a car pulled up and there was an elderly woman who didn't, was very sick on the verge of death and uh, she was uh, on the, in the habit of bringing 
uh, flowers to her husband's grave who had died earlier. And so she mentioned to him that she brings uh, flowers to her husband's grave. And, and the pastor said something that basically said, I, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And it kind of offended her. And she says, what do you mean? And she says, well, I work over at the, the like a, the hospital and uh, the mental, with some mental health people uh, and uh, rest home type of situation. And he says that I know that they love flowers and that, that the flowers and, and being around flowers is just very good for them. And it would have been good that you were giving flowers to them instead of the dead. Because the dead can't benefit from them. Well, she didn't like that. And she drives off, has to drive her driver off, and she's kind of in a huff. And some months later, because she said she only had a few weeks to live, and some months later, he's there, and the car comes back, and she's doing real well. And she says, you know what, uh, when you told me that, I, I didn't like that. But I started to think about it, and I said, well, you know, it makes sense that I'm, I'm, I'm sending, giving my flowers to the, to my dead husband and not the people who, who matters. So I've been starting to bring flowers to the people you were talking about. And the doctors don't know why all of a sudden I had this turnaround and I, I, I've been healed. And of course, I think John MacArthur's point was because she stopped, quit living for that which was dead and started living for that which was alive. It had gave purpose to, gave, it gave her purpose. Her, 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 her selfishness and her, her, her inward uh, looking only to her, her own personal needs and problems was killing her. And as she started to live outwardly, it, it healed her of whatever was wrong with her. And I think there's something to that. And Jesus is a perfect model and that he came not to serve, right, to, to be served, but to serve. Because that's what, how God created us. And it will do us well to examine our life and determine whether we tend to serve or to always be insisting that we have our way, that right we are being served. Because there's something about that is contrary to how we are made and it, it would not be good for us. And it certainly could affect us physically as well as spiritually. But then lastly here, love is not um, irritable or easily provoked in verse uh, that we see here. Now, verse 6 reminds us that we are to be uh, aroused to anger over inappropriate things. But this tells us that we ought to be, be careful that we aren't irritable over it, things that don't matter. Our translations show us that he is speaking of always being on edge, so full of self, that the last thing, uh, that the least thing that doesn't go your way Anything that causes you unpleasantness, you kind of go off. You can't handle. And again, it's not difficult to see how that is opposite of love. And I imagine we men perhaps are most guilty of this. I mean, obviously any of us can, can be like this. Men, uh, because we are, uh, because we deal, our families are weaker than us. And we, a man who cannot control himself and is irritable kind of sets a bad tone for the, for the whole household. Paul uses the term to describe a short-fused person who is easily and quickly provoked to take action which is not edifying to either party. Love, in other words, does not blow its cork, lose its cool, blow a fuse in all the different ways that we describe it and sometimes laugh at it. 
Love does not have a chip on its shoulder. It's not looking for some tiny straw of offense so I can ventilate my anger. Love is calm. Love thinks. Love is controlled by the Spirit of God. And again, these are convicting things, right? If we are spiritually minded, full of the love of Christ, and well practiced in doing all the glory of God, we should be patient enough to think before we act. Even if we get angry or are irritated, we can at least keep our cool because life is in perspective. And that's what the Bible does for us. The Bible puts life in perspective. And I realize that just because there's something little happening here that I don't like, it's not the end of the world, and I don't need to show myself over it. We can discern what is really important and what we can, and, and, and what is not, and we can let those things slide uh, be, that aren't important because life is not all about us and our immediate comfort. You know, Jesus only got angry, uh, at least what's recorded in God's word, over two occasions, right? It was when he cleared the temple. In the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. But he said he did so because the zeal of the Lord has gotten hold of him. He was concerned over his father's honor. And that was his motivation. It wasn't because he was having a bad day. That Jesus just got sick of it and just kind of went off. And vented. Uh, another psychological nonsense term that we were venting. I had to vent. I had to, you know, vent. It's all building up. Well, let the gospel vent it. Been it in your mind. Too many times it's, we're having a bad day or some other excuse to be selfish and irritable and not, not to be properly motivated by the love of God. But Paul says that's what love is. And if you don't like that, you can argue with God, right? But that's, that's, that's the truth of the matter. The person who is intent on having his own way is resentful and is easily provoked. And this would uh, save a lot of us, if not all of us, from having moody and having bad days. Family members would not have to wonder what side of the bed you you're, you got up on this morning. Because you always get up in the gospel. You always get up in Christ. I always get up in the joy of the Lord, right? Well, we we got to think about that. We got we, it's, it's habits, good habits we got to get ourselves into. Jonathan Edwards at one point told a suitor who wanted to marry his daughter, he refused him to marry his daughter. Like from what I understand, told him no because while he believed his daughter was a Christian, he said she would be impossible to live with because she had an uncontrollable temper. Can you imagine a father saying that? You know, most most fathers are just happy to marry their daughters off, and here uh, he's saying, "No, you better let's think about this. She, you, you will be unhappy with her, at least in her present situation." But, you know, he's taking that seriously. It has no place in a Christian life to be that, to be moody. And, and I know this, I know we live in a, in fallen bodies in a fallen world and, and, and moodiness is something that we have to deal with. But th- there has got to be some difference in us as Christians and in the, the common man. Does it not show when we're moody like that that these other attributes are missing as well, right? 
I'm a, I will say this in closing. One, one thing I love about this chapter in the Bible as a whole is that it doesn't say that if you are bipolar or don't have access to medication, you get a pass. And I have had all sorts of pushback over stuff like this through the years. But the Bible is true and, and Christianity works and this power of the Holy Spirit works uh, in all generations before they had modern medicine before they identified uh, all the different kind of personality disorders, Jesus says it is possible to live a loving life, a well-mannered, even-keeled life, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit and saved by grace. It means that like all of us, you might have more difficulty in some of this, if you are, have been diagnosed as bipolar, and I'm not saying that's not a real thing. There's obviously something, right? There, there are personality problems, and I think some of it has got to do with physical, you know, problems, and no one's going to argue that. But what, what I'm saying here is that those, when you have those problems, it might be more difficult for you to live a spirit-filled life in a God-honoring way, and it to be not be as to not be moody, and to not go off on people or whatever the situation might be. So you might be bipolar. So you got you're going to have a more, a more difficult time. Now, if you if, if if in some senses when medication can be helpful and not harmful, uh, then that's that's something you got to think through pretty carefully. Then fine, take it. But at the end of the day. You should be able to deal with that problem in a way that honors the Lord. You're going to struggle more than somebody else. Fine. But the God, what I'm saying, the gospel works in this age uh, no differently than it did in, the, in, in ages past. You can still be godly even if you don't have access to drugs. These people were to obey in these things regardless whether they had been diagnosed with something or not. And I believe the Spirit will do more to help our emotional and psychological baggage than drugs will do anyway. Again, I'm not saying drugs are necessarily wrong. Those are difficult things. But all the drugs and therapy will not do what the Holy Spirit will do. And getting saved isn't necessarily going to save us in this life. It's not going to cause those things to disappear. But it gives us the tools we need to deal with it. And and that's what I want us to understand. You you can overcome. The Bible says we can be overcomers. And it doesn't say if we had the spirit and a good doctor. Right? So what is our family to think if we're always yelling and irritable over things? And after a while, apologies just don't cut it. In other words, you know, we want to apologize, want to repent, say I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't quit doing it, apologies, saying I'm sorry starts to ring a little hollow, right? If you're sorry, don't do it. Or show some, show that you're struggling with it at least a little bit, right? And so I hope we can see here that how all these things are connected to kindness, rudeness, patience, irritability, 
Because only a strong love for the Lord, because of his grace and love shown to you, will allow us to express love to each other. And a love that takes a person outside of himself and centers his attention on the well-being of others is the only cure for self-centeredness. And I want us to understand that this is the love, biblical love, is the what causes us to be different than the world, what changes us. And what gives us victory over the personality problems that sin has brought upon mankind. And it's difficult. It's not easy. But this, I believe, is the power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit. And uh, we don't have excuses for sin. Uh, We'll struggle with it the day we die, but there's no excuses for it. Well, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments on all that?